If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We sure do, and we have a lot to say today in the third episode of our Lilith Fair 40 season. Welcome back. The next five are coming in, but before we introduce them, let me introduce myself. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with the Span Flandiferous, Mark Blankenship. Hey, Mark. Zig zig ha! They were a girl group, too. They sure were, and they're nowhere near this shit. Was that a mistake on our part? Let's find out. Um, <laughs> like we said, we are counting down the most Lilith Fair songs of all time and assembling them into a top 40 chart that has the force of law. Today we will decide our top 15. Mark, who is joining the fray today? Okay, today strolling out onto the battlefield are... <laughs> Liz Fair with Fuck and Run. That's Fuck and Run. Indigo Girls with Galileo. Michelle Branch with Goodbye to You. Alanis Morissette with Hand in My Pocket. And Letters to Cleo with Here and Now. Oh my God. All right. Before we get into it, just a reminder in case you're joining us for the first time. First of all, welcome. Second of all, here is how we score all of these songs. Our song, which is our favorite song, the most Lilithy song of the 15, gets 15 points. The second most Lilithy song, in our opinion, gets 14 points, and so on down the line. We are giving point values to all the songs on the list so far, even though we're only talking about five today. As well, Mark assigns points. I assign points, and you, the listeners, also assign points via your votes at patreon.com slash mastass. If you are a Patreon supporter of our podcast, thank you. You should definitely join us. We have a ton of fun, but you get to vote a little early, and then Gen Pop comes in a couple days after that and gets to make their voices heard. Either way, please join us. Again, this does have the force of law, and it's very important that everyone participates in this highly democratic and official process. That's correct. And if you are not a Patreon member, you do need a Patreon account to vote, but it is totally free. You do not have to make a monetary obligation to vote. But again, we hope that you will, um, because democracy works best when everyone makes a little donation. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) the point is, Sarah, today we are starting with an artist, Liz Fair, to whom you brought me much closer. Uh, A few years ago at this point, we did an episode four by Fair. And as we were talking about the other day, we don't even really remember what those four Mm -hmm. songs were. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of Polyester Bride, which I fell for hardcore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to just say that I am so happy that you have made me a deeper appreciator of her music. Though I did have the Exile in Guyville CD. I didn't give it the deep attention that it deserved until this old podcast journey began. Yeah, I actually came to Liz Fair via the album after Exile in Guyville, and Exile in Guyville, she toured 
I don't even remember when, 10 years ago, um, with a sort of, not gimmicky, but like she just played the whole album straight through. She didn't really mess around with the arrangements or anything, which as a concert goer, that's what I like. Like, don't don't stray too far from what I've been listening to in my headphones all this time. Yes, like um, I don't need your bluesy, slowed down rendition of All I Want to Do, Sheryl Crow. Right. He says from experience. <laughs> oh, no. Or like, here's a, you know, remixed version from the new album of Divorce. Saw- no, no. Um, but Liz Fair knows her audience, um, and she did play this straight through. Uh, we have some listeners and Patreons who feel really strongly about Fuck and Run, and not in a good way, but let's listen to a clip, and then maybe we'll hear some of their comments after that. Whatever happened to a boyfriend, the kind of guy who tries to win you over Excellent pull. Um, Oh, thank you. This lyric is so her and so my 20s. I I just remember holding myself very still in this exact situation that she's describing where you're like hoping that you can convert sex to love for the first down. And then that line, which is just devastating. You got up out of bed. You said you had a lot of work to do. Oh, and but you're trying to act all cool because you're trying to act honestly like you think Liz Fair would act because she seems like a cool badass. And it just it just never worked out. And it was so much of my 20s. Um, I don't. So I I have a fondness for this song. And it's also really an earwig. Like it's been stuck in my head for a few days now. But like I don't I don't get hating I don't get hating this song. It's not the best vocal she's ever done. It's not my favorite song on this album, but like being filled with rage is is strange to me. Was the objection because it's not Lilithy? Well, you know, it's interesting. I uh, asked for clarification, and as of this recording, has it has not yet come. But perhaps our listeners who hate this song will fill us in later. Uh, with more specifics, because I am very interested to know. I am open to the idea that one could hate this song, but I think, Sarah, based on what you just said and knowing you as I do, that we are in agreement that I love this song. I think that it is the distillation of a certain type of lo-fi indie rock bratty yet heartbroken energy that (laughs) really it's like a whole thing from the early 90s that i feel like it's distilled into this song like if you want to know about what l7 sounded like if you want to know about what uh republica sounded like Uh without all of the electronic stuff on top i think you just go to this song frankly and the other thing that i love about this is that she has this slurring disaffected quality kind of like pavement the band or something Mm -hmm. but if you pay attention to what she's saying it's so vulnerable and wounded and the fact that she doesn't try to make it sound pretty is actually really powerful i think yeah because listeners who don't know this song i guess i should say if you don't know the song fucking run this is a song about uh as sarah was saying realizing that you are not going to get any kind of love out of the guy you just slept with. And you know, you've known since you were a child that this is how men are, but you keep falling for the notion that they might be different this time. And it's just really fucking profound. I think. Yeah. Um, we will have in the show notes an interview that Liz fair did a few years back, which is basically an oral history of this song in the context of the larger album that I thought was really insightful and gave a lot of clarification about the even when I was 12 line. Yes. That she has this um, uh, she has this line about um, in the interview about, you know, t- 
that something at that age is given to you in terms of perceived power over men, but then something is also taken away in terms of your ability to control your own narrative. And she put it much more elegantly than I did because she is a songwriter and I'm just over here doing <laughs> what I do. Um, but uh it really, it really was striking, and I thought it was a really cool thing for this magazine to do. It was like, let's, you know, let's really break down this song with the creator of the song. Um, I don't know how you feel about how Lilithy it is, though, because, like, I think it's not quite the right sound, but the ethos is dead on. And, of course, I love the song. There are a lot in my... Um, sort of top five in the next couple episodes that like, I don't actually like the song, but it's Lilithy as hell. This one I love, and I think it fits the brief. So I had it in third place, and that's 13 points from me. Mm -hmm. So I feel that this song, for this episode at least, and with the caveat that I might change my mind 61 times between now and the end of the season, sure. is quite Lilithy. Um, I think in my ideal Lilith song, there's not quite this much um, depressed rage, because <laughs> that's what Woodstock 99 was for. <laughs> but I think that deciding that a woman's sexuality is worth talking about, deciding that you don't have to fit a particular preconceived sonic palette in order to express yourself, that feels pretty baller, and what Lilith was there to... Um, give space to oh sure and also like you said it's a good song and i can't help myself i'm a subjective person as we all are and if i like a song it's going up higher so for me fifth place 11 points okay but the divided world of the listeners means that this song for them lands at 10th place so only wow. six points for them <gasps> that's yeah. wrong sorry that's just wrong i know i was um we so love this, you you're such an important part of this process except when you fuck it up so you're gonna this song tied this song ties with another song that's coming up later and uh you may be gasping again is what i will say okay <laughs> but but, but that's not now that's not the next song the next song that we're talking about is galileo by the Indigo Girls, and I will say that back in 1992, I bought the cassette single of Galileo, and then promptly forgot that I had it until several years later when I heard the song Least Complicated in a record store and was stopped dead in my tracks by the overlapping harmonies in the bridge of that song, bought mm -hmm. that CD, thought I had never heard a song by the Indigo Girls before, and then shocked myself when I was digging around through stuff and found the single of Galileo. So let's make of that what you will. But now I, of course, am very aware of this song. And as I said to Andrew, my husband, the other day, I think I may have heard this song about a thousand times at this point mm. in my life. Yeah, um, same. Conservatively. Yeah. I have a thesis level amount of notes on this song. But before we get to those, let's hear a clip. But then again, it feels like some sort of inspiration To let the next life off the hook But she'll sing Oh, oh. I just love this song <laughs> so much. And it still gets me every time. Yes, me too. This is my favorite Indigo Girl song by far. I loved it from the second I heard it. Um, there is some crystalline world building happening earlier in the song when she's uh, talking about, we were talking about reincarnation over a couple of beers. Like, I know exactly where that is. I know, and I don't know if you imagine this, but in my mind, it's absolutely happening on a carport slab. 
like oh, in some old plastic no. chairs. No, mine is in the fucking basement pub of the Annex in Princeton, New Jersey. Yes. Go figure. But, but like, for me, definitely but for a, me, college it's also a college bar. thing, though, because basically I'm thinking about this one particular house where a bunch of my college friends lived and there was a carport slab with old oh, yeah. plastic chairs where people would go sit and talk about this kind of shit. Yeah. So master's degrees in progress are present in both of our conceptions. <laughs> That's right. Of this. Uh, there is a light, joyous um, self-deprecation that is not always present in these proportions with the Indigo Girls that I find very winning about this song. It is beautiful to listen to. It's such a compelling build as the harmony comes in, more percussion comes in. There's this almost um, like hymn-like quality to the build, not in terms of like, you know, serious or dirgy, but like just the the way that it like you you know a descant comes in like there is a there's a narrative progression to the sound that i just find so appealing and it's just so professionally done this is where i had i am given slight pause because the song is so polished and um it, it's also it's not necessarily about like this um this female like the feminine experience it's it's more about the um thinking person's experience of mm. of the world and where you fit into it so we've talked in previous episodes about how certain songs lyrically seem to be a little more um general and genderless which is fine it doesn't mean they're not lilithy um, but this might not be quite specific enough to that, like, DIY, um, my ovaries, colon, a love story, <laughs> like, thing that we might be going for. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, it's just such a wonderful song. And the Indigo Girls themselves, like, how can you clock a group with girls in the title? Like, you can't put it in the bottom half. That's not how that works. So this, I mean, in terms of how much I love the song, it's probably whatever number is before one for me. But this is my fifth play song, actually, mm -hmm. just from a, like, production values polish standpoint so 11 points i would just like to say that when i was in ninth grade my aol screen name was indigo <laughs> that's right. male that's right because indigo boy <laughs> had been taken oh aol saved you from yourself is a sentence i thought i would never say yes <laughs> that's exactly right uh okay so for me Galileo is a song that truly gives me something new to experience every time I hear it. I feel one of the things that you said that I agree with fully is the lightness of touch because the way that that song, the, the, the lightness of touch lets this song, I think actually become more spiritually accessible. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I feel strongly that this song is a form of secular worship music. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, it is partially to do with the build that you said that is hymn-like in the sound of the song. That sense of constantly um, going higher and higher with harmony is mm -hmm. actually what you find in worship music. And Emily Saliers, who does the lead on this song and wrote this song, is the daughter of a theologian. Her father was in the Candler School of Theology at Emory University when I was a student there and when she was a student there. So she is someone who is steeped in religious tradition. And we all are spiritual people. We all deserve to have spiritual lives. But when you are gay, and especially when you're gay in the 90s, as the Indigo Girls and, uh, spoiler, I were, <laughs> you feel like you don't get to have a spiritual life. And I think that one of the things that has happened in our country over the last many decades is that people who are liberal, left-leaning, feel that spirituality is somehow the provenance of the right wing. 
because of the way that the language of God can be politicized in our country. Right. And that leaves us with an, a chasm in, un, inside of us because religion is not something that can be trusted or something that is often feels like it's a bludgeon that's used against us. And right. so well, a see song- also your girl from New Jersey who is a Baptist and was confirmed as a Baptist full immersion. And people are like, but you're a feminazi. And I'm like, actually those things are allowed to coexist and you can't let fuck nuts like Westboro Baptist church take God from us. Yes, That's exactly. And not I, their place. It was only like 18 months ago that I really fully embraced the fact that I believe in God and like I have the right to have a relationship with God. Like I really spent decades of my life thinking I didn't get to participate because I had so fully internalized the idea that I was evil in the eyes of God. And then because I didn't actually believe I was evil, I was just like, well, I don't get, then you know what? That's not for me. I'm going to go love myself over here. But then I, it's like, I've had this like really profound series of revelations in the last 18 months where I'm like, oh, actually, no, that was never correct. God is in my life. We won't get into that. That's a different podcast. But the point is a song like Galileo is about our souls and it is about our souls in a light, non-judgmental, inclusive way that says you do not have to believe in any particular edict to think about your soul for three and a half minutes in a way that's fun and witty and easy to sing along with. So that, I think, is really, really profound and moving. And in a way, Matt, I think it is deeply connected to my perception of what Lilithness is for me. Because going to the Lilith Fair, as I said a few weeks ago in our introductory episode to this season, was such a profound experience of community for me. And so this song says it's okay through popular music, not worship music, to think about your spiritual life. Now, on the next level, another thing that I find very Lilithy about this song is that the Indigo Girls are so famous, for those who have heard of them, (laughs) uh, for their very close harmonies. And the reason I picked that particular clip is that you can really hear in that clip the interplay of Amy and Emily's voices. And that sense of creating a feminine community through vocal expression is, to me, very Lilith. And in that oral history about Lilith Fair that we posted a few weeks ago in the show notes, we are told that it was the Indigo Girls who pushed for the group sing-along every night. Right. And when I went to the Lilith Fair, there was a group sing-along of uh, Closer to Fine that Jewel forgot the words to, still mad. Mm. We'll continue to bring it up. And so for me, the fact that vocally this song illustrates the sense of community, particularly women's community, but also community that makes room for me, is so Lilith, and it just embodies why the Lilith Fair was so important to me, and honestly why so much of this music is so important to me, because this is music that very often says, your feelings deserve to be expressed, your soul is worth considering, and there are this is a community of people who will sing along with you as you figure that out. And that thinking about that, Sarah, in preparation for this episode is the closest I think I have ever gotten to understanding why this music matters so much to me and actually was a, something of a lifeline to me at this very lonely period in my life. I'm getting very emotional. Oh, shit. Well, I was just, keeping this, in mind also yeah. that, first of all, safe space. We have we have wept before on this podcast yes. and we'll do it again. But also that they, I mean, the song is not called Copernicus or um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> like they picked someone who was exiled, right, for trying to reconcile his own, uh, like his strong sort of sense of self and self belief in his science and the like the literal universe. So, and then yeah. they were like, well, then you can just fucking stay home. But we we still use his, we still talk about him today, maybe partly because of this song, but... Yeah, and you're right, Tico Brahe's name would not scan <laughs> nearly as well. I was the, I mean, which is a pity. They should do a whole song cycle about him, the nose alone. Um, a lot. So, all of that said, this song 
to me really does epitomize those big concepts about why this music and why the Lilith Fair felt so important to me. And perhaps unsurprisingly, it is my number one. Oh, okay. <laughs> After I'm weeping as I talk about it. <laughs> that is not surprising to me, in fact. Oh, okay. Let me just pull myself together. And it is also number one for the listeners. So I think that, listeners, you may have perhaps missed the boat on Liz Fair, but I fully agree with you on the Indigo Girls. So a strong showing across the board. Um, First place for me, first place for the listeners, fifth place for you. Hey, Galileo, you don't have to be banished uh, from us. No, you certainly don't. Um, How long you're going to be able to keep that top spot with some of the shit we've got coming up? I don't know, but just enjoy (laughs) it. Your queens of night vision for right now. Um, shall we move on to Goodbye to You by Michelle Branch? Yes, let me just say I'm not going to cry when we talk about Michelle Branch. <laughs> um, I'm not going to cry either. I would like to note before we hear a clip or talk really about it and about um, a central question of this season that came up on the happy hour the other day and that is going to come up again and again with some of these songs, the Lilith Fair versus the WB, like, Venn debate. Um, This is absolutely, like, exhibit A of that, or exhibit LF, whatever, because um, I first heard this song and Michelle Branch on uh, season six episode of Buffy, um, and was very struck by it. Is she Lilithy? I don't know. I will tell you two things, though. One, she still is not 40 years old. She still has not turned 40, Michelle Branch. Um, this Oh, shit. Song, still? Yeah. Came off uh, an album called Broken Bracelet. It was later remastered. But when she appeared on Buffy singing at the bronze, she, I think, was still a minor. Whoa. Maybe she was 18. Um. She also went on uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B, RIP, canceled recently, um, back in 2016, when a certain Republican uh, prospective candidate for president dropped out of the race and adapted Goodbye to You to be Goodbye Ted Cruz. And that really <laughs> makes me like her a lot. Here's a clip of Goodbye to You. Uh, I don't, this one was a tough one for me to rank. And I think I basically Mm -hmm. like ended up wimping out with it, but there is, first of all, it sounds more WB than Lilith Fair to me a little bit. It's a little too like indie Avril, like, you know, final montage on the vampire diaries and like a little too close to the millennium. I don't know. Um, But, and also the lyrics are like so unadorned and almost childlike, like literally they were childlike, that that it sort of like passes back around to extremely poetic in this very ciphery way. Um, But I mean, it's just very, like, it's basic. This is basic, um, you know, jangly girl pop. Um, But she was so young and that sort of spirit of like, I'm going to write these songs and then maybe I'll get on Buffy. And then, and you know, she's still making music. She has an album coming out this September. So, uh, and she's still not 40 years old. So the spirit of her seems pretty Lilith and to, you know, be on a Buffy episode, like (laughs) Buffy's whole Buffy's whole vid like it's not Lilith exactly but I mean Willow and that whole scene that was pretty you know with Wiccans (laughs) like that's pretty that's pretty Lilith so like there's something about it that sort of like misses the mark 
but there's a lot about the sort of background and circumstances of Michelle Branch's career and that, you know, like lacy choker, dirty hair deal that that she had. Uh, so I put this in seventh place in this group, um, and that's nine points. I actually, having now listened to you, think that I did not rank this song high enough. So thanks for your cogent <laughs> arguments. Sorry. <laughs> it, I'm sure it won't happen again. <laughs> but I, as I was listening to you, was also thinking about the fact that Michelle Branch briefly formed a country music duo called The Wreckers, and they had a number one country airplay single. Mm-hmm. So that's real fucking Lilith to me, like yeah. pop and country together. Yeah. And it's, I feel like Michelle Branch has been on the record saying that she has basically hated every aspect of her career at one point or another. Uh-huh. That she hated being in country music. She hated being in pop music. She hated recording that song with Santana. And <laughs> I feel like I understand that so more clearly now that I appreciate how young she was when all mm-hmm. of this was happening. Yeah. That she was a very intelligent, very gifted young woman who was thrown into a complicated professional world that didn't really seem to care about that Mm -hmm. and was maybe caring about other things. So I think I've been unfair to Michelle Branch in my heart. I feel like Jimmy Carter saying there was lust in my heart, but instead it was (laughs) Michelle Branch shade. (laughs) Only on Mark and Sarah talk about songs, ladies and germs. What? That's a contemporary reference. Jimmy Car- <laughs> from no. from weeping to uh, Jimmy Carter reference. I mean, <sighs> it's the full um, spectrum of human experience. So I do think that the Michelle Branch story, as you just said, coming soon to theaters, is more Lilithy than I was giving it credit for. I feel that this song, I do actually quite like this song. I also love her song, Breathe, mm-hmm. which... I will always associate with this episode of Sex and the City where Carrie lets go of the trapeze when she does trapeze lessons down at the pier. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I like a lot of Michelle Branch songs, but there's a shininess to this that's too close to the cores for me to be truly mm. Lilith. That makes sense. So I put it too low. I put it in 13th place this week, but I, I don't think it's going to stay there for long. But that's where it is for this week. So only three points. From me this week. And this is the part where I find myself startled again because the listeners put it in a tie with fucking run in 10th place. And I'm just like, huh. Okay. I don't know that I would ever say those songs are equally Lilithy. Yeah. I mean, I can also see, like, I feel like Michelle Branch had this sort of maybe omnipresent moment in like 99, 2000, where people are just like, ugh. And they might feel that she's, I mean, some of her stuff is kind of samey, but I mean, there's something about the lyric, like it hurts to want everything and nothing at the same time. Like, is that the most um, uh, poeticized expression of that concept? No. But who hasn't felt that way? Like, yes, it actually does. That does hurt. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's not going to end when you finally turn 21 and you can numb it with bourbon. Spoiler. So <laughs> Speaking anyway, from so you've heard. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe justice for Michelle Branch and a yeah. question mark. <laughs> do I have to now get a T-shirt that says justice for Michelle Branch on it? I don't I don't think you do. Do I have to maybe try to just start a T-shirt a with phrase? a picture of a branch on it? Ah! Just OK, here's what it'll be. It'll be Michelle Tanner from Full House sitting on a branch, and that is Michelle Branch. Well, or a branch with MB plus MB carved on it in a heart. How about that? Oh, that's deep. We fixed it. Oh. (laughs) Next, the economy. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) we have... Honestly, Sarah, I can't keep track. Eight years ago, yesterday, at some point, we did an episode where we ranked every song on Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. We did. It's been a couple years now, if you can believe that. Or this morning, honestly. Who knows? Um, It's a couple of years, sure. Uh, So we have talked at length about Hand in My Pocket before, but Sarah and I both felt, when looking at the catalog of Alanis Morissette, that this is the one that it needed to be. 
for this conversation, even though there are obviously songs like Thank You that exist on other Alanis albums. This is just, I think, the one, Sarah. Yeah, agree. And so without further ado, here's a clip of Ruski. I care, but I'm restless. I'm here, but I'm really gone. I'm wrong and I'm sorry, baby. And what it all comes down to is that everything's gonna be quite alright. Cause I've got one hand in my pocket and the other one is flicking a cigarette. Ugh. I, I love this song. This is such a like all timer guitar line. Um, little little trivia for y'all, which I think I knew this, but I had either forgotten it or blocked it out. This was the theme to the unaired Dawson's Creek pilot, and um, Alana saw the pilot and was like, "Nah," so they went with Paula Cole. Uh, Whoa! Yeah! Wow! Dodged what a different a, vibe. Yeah, dodged a bullet there. Um, yeah, the sound. This sound is maybe too rock, but uh, like Alanis's sort of status as a vanguard of like everything that we're talking about, and also sort of always having to stand at this crossroads of, um creatorship versus the what like pop music wants from women um and just like being like rained on <laughs> by all of that uh and that last line i've got one hand in my pocket and the other is hailing a taxi cab like there's the the dualities of her um creative life of her life as a woman um that are contained in this line and have to coexist. Um, maybe I'm like oversubscribing the lyrics here, but I just find them extremely, uh, extremely Lilithy and, you know, plight of the woman artist forward. Um, and is the hand in her pocket a fist? Who can say? Ooh. Is there any money in there? Who can say there's so much in this symbology and um, but then at the same time, she's loading it up with all those Atlantis vocalizations. And you're like, OK, this is I mean, I think this is just extremely Lilithy. Um, but there were other more Lilithy things. So I just put her right in the middle at that crossroads eighth place eight points but i am fascinated to hear where everybody else put her hit it well i do want to say that our listener judy mentioned that her nephews when she was with them in the car one time or maybe her friend's kids anyway she was in the car with children in the 90s when this song came on and they were scandalized that alana said i'm brave but i'm chicken shit Uh so in her mind now, this line has been rewritten forever as I'm brave, but I'm chicken beep. <laughs> and I just think that saying I'm brave, but I'm chicken beep. Talk about a T-shirt that I would get. Oh, my God. Me, too. <laughs> I'm brave, but I'm chicken beep. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, I think. Who amongst that... us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, this song is really good. This is another one where the lyrics are not explicitly about the female experience, but like you said, Alanis Morissette is the definition of the female experience because obviously Liz Fair covers a lot of the same ground in her album, but Jagged Little Pill was sold a gazillion copies. So Alanis Morissette is the, the frustration of being a female artist and just being a woman at all in this culture writ mega large. Right. So that you got it. You got it. You can't put her in the bottom three. That's for sure. Because no. of something like just because of that. Um. Also, she seems really fucking cool now, like in every interview she's ever done. And I don't know if you watched that HBO documentary. I didn't because she was like, nope, like she noped that also. So I was like, mm, I'll wait. Yeah, I watched it. And I have to say, I thought she came across really well. So um. Uh, whatever but you're, you're right she did she did distance herself from it but 
she just seems so grounded and loving and i'm really into that and hand in my pocket to me is a great song not only because the groove is so good and like you said that just the sound of it is so good but the just deciding that you can be a messy ball of contradictions and it's gonna be fine anyway feels somehow very senior year of college to me yeah totally and like like, if you don't like it she's getting in a cab so yeah bye and she's flicking her cigarette maybe in your eye yeah Mm -hmm. so all of that said as you know from our soft rock season i like to inject a little chaos into these rankings in the middle of the season they don't have the force of law yet so i put hand in my pocket all the way up at number four Ooh, because i i just feel like for a week at least i want to acknowledge alanis's overall presence in this conversation Will she move around? Almost certainly. Now, the Patreon uh, listeners were close behind me. They put her in fifth place. So that's 12 points from me, 11 points from them, and as you said, 8 points from you. Now, somewhere out there, our listener and friend, Ron, his ears are burning because (laughs) he has in his room a poster of Letters to Cleo that we see whenever he joins us. For our online Zoom happy hours, which, again, patrons, you're all invited to come. And if you're not yet a patron, come join us. Become one. So he has a poster of Letters to Cleo that hangs behind him. And so now he is, in my mind, the the carrier of all things Letters to Cleo, including, of course, their one true hit song, Here and Now. So let's listen Here and Now to a clip. How familiar were you with this song before it entered the chart? You mean like back in the 90s? No, before it entered our chart. How familiar were you with this? So familiar. Oh, okay. This was a song I feel like I heard a hundred times at least. Yeah. There There was an MTV News segment where the singer of this band explained what the lyrics are in the chorus and they put them on the screen and she talked about them. So... I just was very, very aware of this. How about you? I was more of an awake guy when it came to their singles, which there were basically two, Um, this one and Awake. Um, I think Awake is a more pleasant song to listen to, but this brings me back to going to that little, like, basically thumbprint storefront zine store on St. Mark's Place in Manhattan and getting the latest Comet bus. Um, And this is a guy who like just took the Greyhound bus from his home in Berkeley all around the country and just talked about like being a freegan and the, you know, other weird people that you see on a cross-country bus. And he has books and I think he still does his zine. His name is Aaron Comet Bus. I don't work for him. I just enjoy when other people have read Comet Bus. Um, But we would go and like see if they had the new one and we would get all these like other zines from like, you know, the Kim's video ranking zine that like people were doing this in their houses, like going to Kinko's and stapling it. And it was just such a mid nineties thing that uh, I kind of miss um, that the internet was just starting. So like when I wanted to start a zine, I started a web journal named tomato nation instead because the internet was right there and it was way easier and and how did that work out (laughs) Uh, eh. (laughs) just kidding um so this brings me back to such a lilithy time but i think the sound is much more of that like post grunge donna's ironic kinder whore um (laughs) like zini punky you can see my underpants but they're for burberry like vid i don't know if any of this is making sense but ironic kinder whore is 
<laughs> it has changed me in not much the same way that Martin Van Buren's nickname was the Red Fox of Kinterhook. <laughs> I do hope that my nickname will someday be ironic, ironic, ironic Kinderhor. Um, I can make that happen for you on my webzine, tomatonation.com. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just the sound to me. Um, I think I still ranked it too low, even if that's the basis. Um, I do like the song, but I like other songs of theirs better. And I think this might be in this, like, uh, if, if Lilith is that movie, whatever, um, this is the movie Clueless, you know, and it's not, yes. it's not oh quite my God. Lilith. Yes. So um, this is 12th for me, four points, but I reserve the right to float it around because I think I just talked myself out of that lower ranking, but we'll see what happens. So for me, 12th, four points. Where'd you put it? I think that the clueless analogy is perfect. There, this this song is great and so stylish and so hip and so um, cool and powerful and fashionable, but that is not very Lilith. I mean, Lilith is cool and fashionable and powerful, but just in a different way. This is like a very right. There's a yeah. There's an edge here that to me doesn't quite feel Lilith. There's a and it's not like a dangerous edge, but it's like a Cher Horowitz edge of like mm, yeah. Bye bye, basic boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Kinder Horror is exactly right. Um, so I agree with you. I put this song in 11th place and mm. gave it five points. And the listeners also put it in 11th place. So uh, I think that says a lot about the overall perception of the song's Lilith qualities. Yeah. Uh, the letter to Cleo was not postmarked the Lilith tent. Fair. <laughs> Oh, so now we're going to use the magic of editing to make it seem like we instantly tally up the results of this week's episode. And in about, I don't know, a few beeps of my beep, we'll give you the latest uh, countdown. (laughs) Sunday kind of love. A love to last past Saturday night. And I'd like to know It's more than love at first sight And I want a Sunday kind of love Oh yeah I want a a love that's on the square All right, everyone, we have done our magic ciphering, and we are back now with our top 15. Now, going forward beyond this episode, we aren't going to read out every single ranking because it would take too long. But for this week, we'll go ahead and read the entire ranking of our 15 songs. Coming in in last place, that's that basement place, it's the it's Breathless by the Coors with three points. And Sarah, I would like to say three is the lowest possible score you can get. In this mm, week, and yeah. they got it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then coming in in 14th place, everybody put them in 14th, uh, me, you, and the listeners. It's Bizarre Love Triangle with Frente, six points. Then in 13th place with 14 points, it's Here and Now by Letters to Cleo. Again, mm. no disrespect. That's just how it shook out. Uh, then in 12th place, we have Every Day is a Winding Road by Cheryl Crow. In okay. 11th place, we have Constant Craving by Katie Lang. And coming in new this week, entering the chart at number 10, it's Goodbye to You by Michelle Branch. Yeah. Then in 9th place, we have Suzanne Vega's Blood Makes Noise. In 8th place, we have Dreams by The Cranberries. In 7th place, we have Bitch by Michelle... No, by Meredith Brooks. Not by Michelle Branch. Bitch by Meredith Brooks. Uh, In 6th place, we have a new entry from Liz Fair, Fuck and Run. 5th place, Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette. 
Fourth place, Come to My Window by Melissa Etheridge. Third place, Cornflake Girl by Tori Amos. And now, Sarah, we have a tie with 41 points apiece in first place between Galileo and As Cool As I Am by Dar Williams. Wow. So last time, Tori was number one. Now she has slipped down to number three. And As Cool As I Am has moved up from two to one. And Galileo has entered the chart at number one. So very interesting. Oh, boy. This, I mean, and it doesn't get any, doesn't get any easier from here, certainly, because uh, next week we've got some real heavy hitters in their broomstick pleats and eyelet tops. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and for voting. Again, that's patreon.com slash mastass. And if you want to join us as a supporter, you get to vote early and you get to see Ron's poster on the happy hour if you want. And we hope that you will continue to join us as we struggle through these rankings. We're almost halfway there. We could do it. Join us next time on Mark and Sarah Talk About Beeps. I am a seeker, a poor sinful creature. There is no weaker than I am. And you are a teacher You are a reacher So reach down Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship That's me and Sarah D. Bunting That's me I also edit the podcast which is a proud member of the Believe Network Learn more at bleav.com To learn more about us submit song requests get a pop chart reading or buy a Mastis book visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's markandsarah, with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash mastass. Thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube